Hey guys, it's Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girl Boss here at the Girl Boss headquarters in the Girl Boss podcast studio. We have a great guest coming up today, uh, YouTube star, influencer, and New York Times bestselling author, Hannah Hart. But first, let's talk about Lunia. Oh man. Mm. Oh, they're the best. They're the best pajamas and loungewear. Yeah. I have a sleeping mask that is padded. Ooh. It's like a pillow for your face that matches my jammies. <laughs> and the jammies are like comfortable, but they're all and they're also cute, which is kind mm-hmm. of a hard kind of combo to find. And I really love their line Restore, which is a new collection of FDA-regulated smart sleepwear that actually promotes deeper, more restful REM, REM sleep, which is like the deep sleep. So you'll wake up feeling noticeably energized. Uh, that's amazing. Wow. Okay. Restore takes your body's otherwise wasted energy it produces while asleep, absorbs it, and converts it into infrared energy that is recycled back into your skin and tissues. So it's like recycling for your energy. And it's regulated by the FDA. Can can your frat shirt and frumpy sweats do that for you? Probably not. So find out why Fast Company is raving about Lunia and get $15 off your first purchase when you go to lunia.co and enter promo code GIRLBOSS. That's L-U-N-Y-A dot co. Seriously, you guys, this is like not an ad raid. <laughs> I'm into this. Enter promo code GIRLBOSS for $15 off your first purchase. Lunia, sleepwear for the modern woman. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Hannah Hart is an award-winning comedian, TV host, Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. Boasting over 5.3 million followers across her social platforms, Hannah is the creator and star of her award-winning weekly web series, which has amassed millions of views since its first episode in 2011. I've been doing this for seven years, and, you know, I'm really happy and proud of what I've built, but I would never say I feel like, like, I always worry about the future. But I guess it's, I'm trying to shift it from worry into plan. Hannah's book, My Drunk Kitchen, A Guide to Eating, Drinking, and Going with Your Gut, spent six weeks in the New York Times bestsellers list. In 2017, Hannah released her second New York Times bestseller, Buffering, The Unshared Tales of a Life Fully Loaded. I think that a lot of the internet is dictated these days by uh, the amount of views a video gets or the virality, quote-unquote, or the, the real, like, sensationalism. And I think it's fun come across an idea that you're like, wow, this idea has potential to hit those buckets. 
but I don't think it's good to start from the buckets and move backwards. In addition to books and YouTube, she's recently announced her first look deal with the studio to produce and star in an LGBTQ romantic comedy and is working with Ellen Digital on a currently untitled, unscripted series where she'll be giving people love and dating advice. Most recently, Hannah has partnered with Cadence 13, our producers, to produce her self-help podcast, Hanalyze This. It's a self-help podcast that just can't help itself. And it's a really candid look at, like, mental health. You know, I feel like in the mental health space, there's two kind of groups. There's the Pinterest floating on a lotus leaf, inspirational words, blah. And then there's the I'm a hot mess, my life is in shambles, blah, which I, you know, don't really subscribe to either of those. So with Analyze This, we really focus on the tedium of mental health and, like, maintaining that. We'll get to our chat with Hannah in just a moment. But first, Maggie's here, and we're going to chat all about what's going on here at the Girl Boss HQ. Hey, Maggie. Uh, hey. I'm back from my trip. Thank goodness. Oh, my we gosh. Missed you. It's been a lot, and it looked like... It looked like a vacay, mm-hmm. and a little bit of it was, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of work. Yeah. Also, um, just traveling that much just does a number on your body. Yeah, I'm super jet lagged. Yeah. What time to, like, zone are you in? <laughs> I don't know. I had to like go for a walk around Lake Hollywood and almost was like walking on my knees, just like crawling back to the car. Oh, God. Ouch. <laughs> and then you drove home. Great. So we have a piece on mentorship this week. Mm-hmm. On the site. There's a piece entitled, Sad Truth, You Won't Find a Perfect Mentor, So Try This Instead. I thought it was interesting because mentors are needed, they're important, they're interesting, but it's also a lot of weight and pressure. Um, it is. It's like you're waiting sides. to be discovered or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like don't wait. Exactly, and you feel like you need somebody to push you to the next level or take you there, which is is probably not true. I mean, there are so many benefits to them, um, but again, it's there's timing um, on the busier person's schedule, which you have to you know think about. So there are other ways to go about it rather than just waiting and hoping and looking to like the highest person, you know, the CEO or the celebrity, rather than looking to them, there are other things you can do Mm -hmm. to find someone, something, um, advice, encouragement. Like what? Friends and family is a really good place to start. They are definitely just a really good resource in terms of like laying things out, how you're feeling at work, just just getting it all out there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're in your corner, they're your biggest supporter. So they're really good for encouragement and also let's not forget that parents have lived a life too you know like they've lived life before you even existed so they have a lot of experience that they can help you in in new things it's probably they've probably done it I also think therapy can help because I can't tell you how many times I've Mm. been in therapy and stuff has come out of my mouth that I haven't (laughs) actually thought before Mm -hmm. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to like process things in a different way Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's a kind of Mm self-mentorship And then like books and YouTube, even the ugliest business books and the oldest like tried and true kind of business books, whatever, Dale Carnegie, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. There's so much information out there where if you're able to just podcast, you Mm -hmm. know, just stop and take the advice from all the people that have put so much out into the world where they're able to scale their mentorship, which hopefully we're doing a little bit of here, Mm -hmm. is is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And I was going to say, if you work at a company with other people... The people that are directly above you or just got promoted to the position that you want. Um, Mm -hmm. So they have a little bit more time, but they do have experience in the contacts. They're great people because they still very much are inside the circle, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of work. And they'd be a great asset because they know how to get to that position that you want because they literally just did it. And you can also kind of reverse engineer. Like Mm -hmm. you can go on LinkedIn and see what kind of jobs the people who have the 
jobs or life that you want to have? Like, mm-hmm. where did they intern? Right. Like, what is the path that they took to get to the job that you want? And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the path you need or the path you need to take, but just understanding, like, what kind of industry totally. they kept in. Oh, they studied communications. Well, you know, I guess I can maybe intern at a PR mm-hmm. firm yeah. if that's, like, you know, what I what I want to be doing. And, yeah, so it's almost like a, yeah, like a reverse mentorship mm-hmm. in a way. And I also love informational meetings just when you, it's essentially networking. You're meeting with people just discussing what both of you do or what you want to do. It's really, really interesting to get all of the details on someone else's career, what they're doing day to day, who they know. And so then in their back pocket, you know, if they think of, or if you have a script or something and you're like, oh, I'd love to send it to them. They already know you. They've met you. So you can kind of start there, just reaching out to people um, mm-hmm. through friends of friends because yeah. your network is your strongest source of yeah. knowledge. I'm constantly asking <laughs> advice. I, I have kind of like a group <laughs> Me of mentors and you just have to know mm-hmm. what advice to take. You have to throw a lot of it in the trash and right. just go with your gut a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. having that periphery yeah. of understanding and that exposure to the different ways you, you could think about right. it is really important. Right. Like using those and in, in then making a decision from that then pool. What's right for you. Yeah. Where can we find this? If you want to read the whole piece, go to girlboss.com. Uh, click the little magnifying glass and type in sad truth. You won't find a perfect mentor, so try these instead. Sad truth, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Now get ready to hear from YouTuber, influencer, and New York Times bestselling author, Hannah Hart. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, the Bay Area, so San Francisco adjacent um what, california what town san mateo so it's okay. like it's like 20 minutes south of the city it's right where the airport is yeah that. yeah i used to go to san francisco city college oh yeah okay so you know the bay area yeah i oh. lived in san francisco i took the bart to the city college and um but i've lived in oakland and pleasant hill oh really really that's where i started nasty i'd like move way out for like cheap rent and enough space to like i don't know drive my car to the post office there you go yeah yeah I grew I um, went to school so I grew up in the bay and I went to school at Berkeley um and so I was pretty much like everything in my life had happened within that 20 50 mile radius yeah um until after I graduated so yeah that was cool Berkeley's great it is it's great go bears so what did you grow up wanting to be because YouTube didn't exist. Correct. Yeah. So I actually grew up, so I went to school for translation. So I studied English lit and Japanese language. Um, I lived abroad in Japan for a semester. And then right when we graduated, the market had crashed. So it was like 2008, 2009. So everybody who had gone to school to study what they were studying, thinking that we'd get entry level positions out there in the market, uh, that wasn't going to happen. And like d- adults with careers took all the jobs. Correct. Well, and they tried to desperately keep their jobs, you know, because middle management was fighting to stay and all companies were shutting down entry level at that time, Um, which is why I ended up moving to New York, uh, pursuing this part-time proofreading job. And I was living on couches and my YouTube career only began because in March of 2011, I made a joke for a friend of mine and sent it to her. I want to get into that in a second, but what was your first job? 
Uh, my very first job was in, I was ice cream scooper in an ice cream shop. Oh, I did that for a little bit and I was, I felt like a fish in a fishbowl cause like there were children banging on the glass <laughs> while you were scooping yeah. and they gave you like one shirt to wear yeah. and you were somehow supposed to show up with it clean every day. Yeah. Just like covered in ice and cream. The ice cream shop that I worked at, we actually made our own candy too. Oh, and wow. so it was very like Wonka-esque cause you would come in and like the candy machines would be whirring and yeah. it was. Uh, it was definitely I'm not a big sweets person oh um, so I thought it could work like exposure therapy like I'd leave it loving sweets more but um, it did okay yeah. I did leave it loving money though oh yeah yeah That's, I think everyone should work in a service industry money's, at least once. money's a good thing so why did you leave it liking money because I could get tips oh okay yeah nice. I like that yeah working for yourself and working in a place where the better you do the more money you make not just through like raises, but like instant gratification wise is um, love it. Really nice thing, especially in the Bay Area where it's a bunch of soccer moms, SUVs. Hannah's mother has schizophrenia. Due to this and Hannah's unstable home life, she legally emancipated herself at 15. I asked her what the dynamic was like with her mother growing up and how having to be out on her own at such a young age shaped her as a person. Well, I wrote a whole book about it, actually, um, which is great. So it's interesting because I've become very open about my mom uh, and my own family's journey with mental illness. Um, Right now, uh, her current update diagnosis is schizoaffective bipolar disorder, which is great. Um, But she was homeless for a period of time. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I've always been very open talking about it. But the reason why I wanted to write Buffering... Unshared Tales of a Life Fully Loaded, uh, is because the mental health system is way more complicated and way more broken. It's not even broken. It has a giant gaping hole. It's missing a part. You know, anyone who is a nonviolent person who suffers from psychosis is homeless. Because they're violent, they get arrested. Yeah. You know? And so it's like all those people that you see on the streets, it's not that they've failed at society. It's that society has failed at making room for them. Yeah. You know? How did that affect you growing up? I'm sure it it probably formed my entire character and yeah. psyche. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to grow up pretty fast? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I um I was emancipated when I was in high school. I took care of my little sister who is the light of my life. I think if she hadn't been born, I would have gone down a very much darker path, I think. I was already like sneaking out and like smoking joints and stuff at 11, but then Maggie was born and there was like, "Oh my god, there's a baby." Well, I can't go out. I got to take care of the baby. And it was, it was just like that instant gratification of, you know, when you take care of a baby, you're smiling at a baby, you're playing with a the baby, they're smiling back. If they're crying, something's wrong. It was very clear what their needs were. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up in an environment where communication um, didn't seem to follow a linear narrative, that clarity, you know, uh, provided me a lot of comfort. Yeah. It's probably why I'm also a really direct person these days, but I got to learn more social cues. Because you tell like, a baby what to do. <laughs> well, it's kind of like if somebody's like, I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, something is wrong. Oh, is this your way of telling me you don't want to talk about it right now? Okay. Yeah. Like I'm that kind of calibrating. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what year was it when you joined YouTube to not become a YouTuber? Oh, yeah. 2011. Okay. Yeah, it was really wild. March of 2011. That's not the earliest. No. Is no. it? When did YouTube start? 2006? Yeah. So okay. I, my understanding of YouTube as a culture or YouTube was not as a culture. It was, this is a place where you find videos, you look stuff up, um, 
I think the most creative video I'd seen on YouTube up until that point was a really awesome video called I Am Your Grandma. And it's this artist who made this video that's a message to their future grandkid. It's worth checking out if you want to see some like next level back in the day shit. So I didn't understand that there was this entire subculture of media that was forming. And it was through the comments section of this video the people were like this is my new favorite show on YouTube mm-hmm. and I was like show on YouTube what are these people talking about but as someone who had never been brave enough to kind of go into entertainment nor who saw the practical I mean it's a risky business I was not you have to make a bunch of stuff before anybody pays you and then you might not even get paid there's no guarantees yeah. you know like I've been doing this for seven years and you know I, I'm really happy and proud of what I've built but I would never say I feel like, like, I always worry about the future. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's, I'm trying to shift it from worry into plan. When Hannah started her YouTube page, she was literally just trying to cheer up a friend by making a video of herself cooking dinner while drunk. There was no intention whatsoever to become a content creator. Then it blew up, went viral, into an entire career. I asked her how she first started making a living on YouTube. You know, I consider myself a an entrepreneur and the business that I produce is entertainment, right? And so there it's important to always be diversifying. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So even in that first year online, I wasn't making money off my YouTube channel. I was making money from selling t-shirts. Hmm. So tell me about your t-shirt business. Back in the day, uh, I would just print a t-shirt with an episode. So people liked a lot of one-liners from my channel, like... Um, Parkour to you was one. It was a lot of that like inside joke, nerd internet culture. And the people that bought those shirts, that's what really supported what I did. Wow. Yeah. So tell me about this first YouTube video. Oh, it's called My Drunk Kitchen. Well, at the time it was called Buddy Yo Shit because it was just to Hannah, um, who is the name of my friend also. So I was at my sister's apartment. Uh, My older sister had just got me that, that white MacBook with the webcam in it like the very first like macbook uh-huh um the bulbous one yeah because yeah. she i was in new york and i had gotten sick and she came to visit me um because she was living in dc at the time and i was still lugging around my you know 10 pound toshiba with a broken power cord and the battery was already dead so it's like yeah the laptop works great as long as you nobody move in the room because it might shut off you know mm-hmm. and so she saw that and she was like she like effectively just kind of took pity on me. And then she, my older sister got me a new MacBook with a webcam. And so I wanted to show off that feature to my friend, Hannah Gelb. We had been chatting via the internet. She was like, I miss when you get drunk and cook because we were roommates. And I was like, dude, I can get drunk and cook for you right now. I opened up photo booth, shot it in 45 minutes and then imported it into iMovie. Cut it up. And so you became like a quote unquote YouTuber pretty fast. Yeah. I had a video that went viral. Yeah. And how many views? I don't know. <laughs> like a million or more? At this, di- at this today? point, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's so easy to fixate on that stuff. But I think it was more like there was anyone who wanted to see me do more entertainment stuff. Yeah. Like, who wanted to, like, I was always a class clown. And so the idea that I could make funny videos was very, very exciting. Fun. Yeah. And you didn't have to leave your house? No. That's really nice. Yeah. Any job where you don't have to, except your hygiene kind of goes downhill. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. You know, it's important to shower every day. Yeah. <laughs> or every other day. Don't wash your hair every day, though, kids. How much? How much? Yeah, don't wash your hair every day. That's really bad for your hair. Get blowouts. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, 
how much have you listened to your audience to inform what you do next? Hmm. Like, do you take it into account or do you just, you know, do what feels right for you? Well, I guess it's kind of like I have this really bad practice. Like, it's hard for me to do something that's somebody else's idea because I... It's like if it's been, it's not interesting anymore to me. It's like unless it's my idea that I came up with, it's not, it's like I lose interest. It's painful. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it sounds like a real asshole thing to say, but it's just like, I don't know if it's ADHD. I don't know if it's my own lack of respect or understanding of authority and that kind of structure. But if someone tells me to do something, I'm just instantly disinterested. Yeah. Well, I think the, like when you, when something's your idea, you generate this like excitement. It's like easy to kind of like brainstorm on it. And there's just this whole kind of like momentum behind it. Right. And, and capturing that momentum, momentum is its own work or maintaining that momentum rather is its own work. Um, so in terms of how much my online community kind of informed the stuff I made, it was more like by sheer virtue of the fact that they wanted to keep hanging out. That was inspiring me to make more stuff, mm-hmm. you know? I think that a lot of the internet is dictated these days by uh, the amount of views a video gets or the virality, quote unquote, or the the real like sensationalism. And I think it's fun to come across an idea that you're like, wow, this idea has potential to hit those buckets. But I don't think it's good to start from the buckets and move backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just did this brand deal with Glad Press and Seal, which, by the way, great product. They're just FYI. Plastic bags? It, it's they're. It's their saran wrap, but it's not saran wrap. It somehow, it's like how people must have felt about tinfoil when tinfoil came out. Yeah. No, I'm saying this stuff's crazy. So we were working on this idea of me cooking while upside down, like hanging, suspending upside down with um, making a burrito that was only being held with the press and seal. So it had like magnets on the bottom, but all the ingredients were inside their glass bowls with the press and seal wrapped around the top. And it 100% worked. So with that deal... Because you just mentioned a deal. And I think it's interesting how integrated deals are now. Like I'm doing something where I go to a press day or like whatever. And if I am doing something, they want me to mention it. And, you know, how has your how is the way you monetize your business evolved? You know, early on, like what kind of money? What was what were you selling in the beginning? It's all been like these weird blessings in disguise. So by virtue of the fact that the most popular program on my channel, and for those who don't really know much about YouTube, here's an analogy I like to use. Harto, which is named my channel, is to My Drunk Kitchen as NBC is to Friends. So it's not like Friends is the only show that was on NBC, but most people know Friends, right? So My Drunk Kitchen's not the only video I post, but the majority of people are familiar with it. They've heard of it. It has been sent to them by a friend over the last seven years at some point. So the blessing in disguise for MDK is that in the beginning, no brands wanted to work with anything affiliated with drinking, which was also really great because it allowed me to be kind of picky about what brands we did work with. Um, so far, I have been you know, very fortunate in that I, I have the ability to choose what I do. And I don't have to just take brand deals because they're being offered. Because you can sell. I mean, what were the were the first things like brands coming to you to do like integrations, or was it like you're selling what YouTube sells, which is like ads? And yeah, it's more like integrations. And then in the beginning, so I before mean, influencer was influencer. Yeah, yeah. The first brand deal I ever did was this truly horrible video 
with Sony that was just a commercial on the internet. But it wasn't that bad. And, you know, if Sony happens to be listening somehow magically, love you. It was great. But I think that the curve at which brands have caught up to understanding how to integrate with online content creators, yeah. fortunately, has gotten to a much more mutually respectful place. Like, I think that they thought they were buying a time slot. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're not buying a time slot. I'm a business. You're a business. Are we going to co-produce a product together? Yeah. What's right for your audience is what's right for the brand. Correct. Because it's going to be really naturally integrated. Correct. A hundred percent. So what's, you know, I'm sure that your brand extensions, your brand programs extend beyond just YouTube at this stage. Oh, yeah. Are there, like, what are the variety of touch points that you might work with a brand to get their product or service out into the world? Um, I do appearances. I did... This some of the, I've had the privilege of working with brands that have been really great in terms of in, in integrating creatively. So I worked with Subaru a couple of years ago on this volunteer series that was really really fun, and we were able to integrate the Subaru pretty naturally into this ten episode volunteer series um, for this program that we do called Have a Heart Day. I'm just gonna put that over there. Barilla the pasta. I've absolutely loved working with Barilla. We work together on a more like kind of 360 endorsement kind of thing um, where we co- we produced a series called While the Water Boils together where we got to inter- uh, interview, you know, people who wanted to share their passions like Bill Nye or Wanda Sykes, Rachel Zoe. I interviewed these incredible people. And at the end, we ate pasta. You got to do what you want to do anyways. Yeah. That's the best We just had a work. great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was great. So appearances, integrations oh, yeah. into YouTube videos. Social? Like yeah, outside like in terms of YouTube? Of... I mean, YouTube social, but like Instagram integrations? Yeah. So there might be like a certain number of posts. Yeah. And it's important to price those all out. And it's like, I'm a big believer in paper and yeah. numbers and contracts. Yeah. I don't like handshakes. I just want like, okay, cool. Do you have a manager? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's um, really, really wonderful. Uh, we've been working together for four years. I actually initially hired her to be my chief production officer because I had this whole idea about building a media brand but turns out that like Hannah Hart as talent was a lot easier and more readily available to do a lot more freedom and less employees yeah exactly and just kind of like it was just making more money than you know so she came to run Harto with me which is the name of my business but then I was like you know what you're so great Will you just manage me? Mm-hmm. And then we have been doing working together ever since. And, and she manages other people. She does now. Yeah. What's her? What was her background? So if someone who's listening is interested in being a manager, what do managers do? And like, where did she come from? Well, the cool thing about Linnea, and I think that this is a thing that makes a really great manager, is she came from production, right? So she was. She worked at the. She went to school at Emerson, which is a film school. She worked at the Austin Film Festival. She worked with Ryan Seacrest for years and years. I mean, that's a great. Yeah, and so she has this camp. kind of like both independent and mainstream under knowledge of the spaces. And the only thing that was missing was the online space, which is what we were able to do together. So I could teach her about digital, and she could help me navigate these crazy monolith traditional industries that had been in place for years and years and years. And I could be like, well, Coca-Cola is cool, but only if we can do it like this. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, you want me to go back to Coca-Cola with your request? And I was like, yeah, I do. And she was like, okay. And through the course of that, we now are such an integrated team that she understands exactly what you said to earlier with is if it's good for the audience, it's good for the brand. What does your team look like today? How many people? What do they do? I'm repped at UTA. Love them. Nice. Linnea's my manager. Love her. I have an assistant. Love her. 
I have Metro PR, my PR team. Love them. They're a boutique PR team, Tess Finkel, my bae. And then I have a lawyer who's my longest relationship of all time. <laughs> so there's no one that's like in an office or following you around. You don't have an assistant. You don't have shooters. I have an assistant, editors, but she lives in Austin. Predators. You have an assistant who lives in Austin? Yeah, I know. I want to try and She's Linnea's assistant, too. Linnea, don't listen to this. I think Fab should move to L.A. Be here with me. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that would make sense. Yeah. What do you do when you're uninspired? Like, have there been moments where you're just like, Ugh, I don't, I don't want to do this right now? Because, you know, once what you love, once your passion, like for me, it was vintage clothing. Once that became my job, you know, they say like, don't, what's it called? Like, don't do the drugs that you sell or something. Ooh, what is that thing? Shit. No, that's a good, I mean, if it's not that, it should be. There's like I get a it. better <laughs> phrase for it. Like once don't it shit becomes, you eat. No, it's like, don't dip in your, I don't even. Oh, don't go and don't dip into your own stash. Is that Kind of something like that. that. You know, I'm sure there's been moments where you're like, oh, this passion of mine has become a job and it feels like a job. Yeah. I guess I want to say two things. One, I think that I'm so lucky that my passion is my job. Um, So that's like the first thing I want to say. And the second thing is. Look, like I have clinical depression, so I'm going to feel listless no matter what throughout the rest of my life forever. Sometimes I will feel that way. Like we just got back from a convention weekend. That's five days of back to back adrenaline. So right now I'm like adrenaline dumping. Like if I didn't have things to do today, I would be at home staring at the ceiling being like, but for what? And that's why I wanted to do the podcast that we launched, um, Analyze This, which is the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. And it's a really candid look at like mental health. You know, I feel like in the mental health space, there's two kind of groups. There's the Pinterest floating on a lotus leaf, inspirational words, blah. Oof. Right. And then there's the I'm a hot mess. My life is in shambles, blah, which I, you know, don't really subscribe to either of those. Mm -hmm. So with Analyze This, we really focus on the tedium of mental health and like maintaining that. So that, that, that energy drop that you feel is about learning not to question everything just because you're exhausted mentally, creatively, physically. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong with your life. Like it's normal. It's normal. It's okay to feel that way. And I think that as creatives and especially as people who run their own businesses, you wonder if this feeling is an indication that something needs to change. And I would say it's just about keeping track. Intuition or anxiety? Like, what the fuck is the difference? How are you supposed to tell the difference? I have no idea. I'm like, I have a feeling in my gut. Is it like my mental health? Is this anxiety? Is it a combination of both? Is there some great thing that's like impending doom that I mm-hmm. have to address? Is it? Yeah. It's easy to point at the things closest to you. It's easy to be like, my really, is there something wrong with mm-hmm. my relationship? Am I in the wrong place in my life? What mm-hmm. happened? Oh, I think, and the only way I can kind of gauge where it's coming from is to feel physically in my body where it's coming from. If I'm thinking about something or thinking about this deal or thinking about this video or thinking about this thing I said, and in my gut, like in the pit of my stomach, I'm like, something's not right, but I don't know what. That's usually intuition, I find. If it's in my head, like in my head, I'm like, ticket, 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 ticket. Then, unless I'm arriving at a conclusion, I think it's just anxiety. Because it's the cyclical thing, right? Hannah has been diagnosed with clinical depression and is very open about it. She shared how she came to diagnosis of clinical depression, how she treats it, and how you can treat yours. I feel like a good way of looking at it is maintenance in three categories. Medication, mediation, 
and meditation. Ooh. Thank you. Maintenance is kind of falls into these three places. I think to begin therapy. So what I call like mediation. So talking with a therapist about how you engage with yourself and how you engage with the world around you. There's a lot of different types of talk therapy. Um, there's some that are like more like gestalt, emotive, like somebody just to listen and reflect your feelings back at you. And for some people that really works. I really like CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is much more focused on the structures that your mind creates and has created and how to work with and without those structures. So I appreciate that kind. Then, you know, but even in years of talk therapy, you might find that you need to take medication. Like I take Zoloft and I started taking it maybe like a year and a half ago and it has been so much easier. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's amazing to fit, find, you know, something that, you know, doesn't drug you, doesn't make you a space cadet, doesn't like dull your light, but just makes like the irritability and pain of like, not the pain. It's not like, it doesn't remove pain. It's like, um, but it's, just like stops the extreme. Yeah. It's kind of like we, we all have peaks and valleys and that's natural, right? Life is about peaks and valleys and you don't want to be blunted. You don't want to be taking a medication that leaves you feeling like pretty much like buh. So it's about lessening the impact of those peaks and valleys. Your personality should not change. And you really have to work with someone. Like going to your primary care physician is probably not the best idea. Staying on something for a really long time without checking in with your psychologist or psychopharmacologist is probably not the best idea. Yeah. The one thing that really sucks about Zoloft is that it has it has an effect on your sex drive, which that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just like, man, it just makes you and I don't know if it's like maybe I just have a normal sex drive now. But my girlfriend pointed this out the other day because I was like, man, I think Zoloft's really working. And she's like, yeah, I think so, too. Because, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, OK. There's uh, always a trade off. There's always a trade off. But I just think now we're at like a normal, healthy amount. 